Welcome to this Uvula Audio Bookcast. I am your narrator, Jim Campanella. Our new podcast will be of The Enchanted Isle of You by L. Frank Baum, originally published in 1903. This marks several months since we have had just a plain kids' bookcast. I think you'll enjoy this one, and it will probably have been worth the wait. The book obviously concerns tales of the Isle of You. In it were five important kingdoms ruled by men and many woodland dells and forests and glades and meadows and grim mountains inhabited by fairies. From the fairies, some of the men had learned wonderful secrets and had become magicians and sorcerers, with powers so great that the entire island was reputed to be one of enchantments. Who these men were, the common people did not always know, for some were kings and rulers and others lived quietly hidden away in forests or mountains, and they seldom showed themselves, or not at all. This is the story of the people of Yu and their interactions with the fairies and magicians of the Isle. Yu is set at some undisclosed place in the Earth's global ocean, a little like the island in the TV show Lost, in the middle of the sea. Like Oz, it's divided into four countries associated with the four cardinal directions, plus a fifth central country that dominates the others. In the east of Yu lies the land of Donna. In the west, tinted rose and purple by the setting sun, is Oriel. In the south lies the kingdom of Plenta, where fruit and flowers abound. And in the north is Heg, the most stereotypically feudal and medieval of the four. In the center, like the Emerald City of Oz, lies the fifth kingdom of Spore, But while the Emerald City is a powerfully positive place, the centrally located Spore has just the opposite influence for you. Spore is a bandit land ruled by the mysterious King Terebus and populated by giants with huge clubs and dwarves who throw flaming darts and stern gray men of Spore who are the most frightful of all. The other people of you are pleased if the denizens of Spore come to rob them only once a year. You is one of the most traditional of Baum's fantasy books with knights and castles, as well as fairies. It resembles most of all the countries from Queen Zixie of Ix than those of the lands of Oz. And now, The Enchanted Isle of You. Chapter 1 Once on a Time I am going to tell a story, one of those tales of astonishing adventures that happened years and years and years ago. Perhaps you wonder why it is that so many stories are told of once on a time, and so few in these days in which we live. But that is easily explained. In the old days, when the world was young, there were no automobiles nor flying machines to make one wonder, nor were there railway trains, nor telephones, nor mechanical inventions of any sort to keep people keyed up to a high pitch of excitement. Men and women lived simply and quietly. They were nature's children, and breathed fresh air into their lungs, instead of smoke and coal gas. They tramped through green meadows and deep forests instead of riding in streetcars. 
and went to bed when it grew dark, and rose with the sun, which is vastly different from the present custom. Having no books to read, they told their adventures to one another, and to their little ones, and the stories were handed down from generation to generation, and reverently believed. Those who peopled the world in the old days, having nothing but their hands to depend on, were to a certain extent helpless, and so the fairies were sorry for them, and ministered to their wants patiently and frankly, often showing themselves to those they befriended. So people knew fairies in those days, my dear, and loved them, together with all the riles and nooks and pixies and nymphs and other beings that belonged to the hordes of immortals. And a fairy tale was a thing to be wondered at, and spoken of in awed whispers, for no one thought of doubting its truth. Today the fairies are shy, for so many curious inventions of men have come into use that the wonders of fairyland are somewhat tame beside them, and even the boys and girls cannot be so easily interested or surprised as in the old days. So the sweet and gentle little immortals perform their tasks unseen and unknown, and live mostly in their own beautiful realms, where they are almost unthought of by our busy, bustling world. Yet, when we come to storytelling, the marvels of our own age shrink into insignificance beside the brave deeds and absorbing experiences of the days when fairies were better known, and so we go back to once on a time for the tales that we most love, and that children have ever loved since mankind knew that fairies exist. Chapter 2 The Enchanted Isle Once there was an enchanted isle in the middle of the sea. It was called the Isle of Yu, and in it were five important kingdoms, ruled by men, and many woodland dells and forest glades, and pleasant meadows, and grim mountains inhabited by fairies. From the fairies, some of the men had learned wonderful secrets, and had become magicians and sorcerers, with powers so great that the entire island was reputed to be one of enchantments. Who these men were, the common people did not always know, for while some were kings and rulers, others lived quietly hidden away in forests or mountains, and seldom or never showed themselves. Indeed, there were not so many of these magicians as people thought. Only it was so hard to tell them from common folk that every stranger was regarded with a certain amount of curiosity and fear. The island was round, like a mince pie, and it was divided into four quarters, also like a pie, except that there was a big place in the centre where the fifth kingdom, called Spore, lay in the midst of the mountains. Spore was ruled by King Terebus, whom no one but his own subjects had ever seen, and not many of them. For no one was allowed to enter the kingdom of Spore, and its king never left his palace. But the people of Spore had a bad habit of rushing down from their mountains and stealing the goods of the inhabitants of the other four kingdoms, and carrying them home with them, without offering any apologies whatever for such horrid conduct. Sometimes those they robbed tried to fight them, but they were a terrible people, consisting of giants with huge clubs, 
and dwarves who threw flaming darts, and the stern grey men of Spore, who were the most frightful of all. So, as a rule, every one fled before them, and the people were thankful that the fierce warriors of Spore seldom came to rob them more often than once a year. It was on this account that all who could afford the expense built castles to live in, with stone walls so thick that even the giants of Spore could not batter them down, and the children were not allowed to stray far from home, for fear that some roving band of robbers might steal them and make their parents pay large sums for their safe return. Yet, for all this, the people of the enchanted Isle of Yew were happy and prosperous. No grass was greener, no forests more cool and delightful, no skies more sunny, no sea more blue and rippling than theirs, and the nations of the world envied them, but dared not attempt to conquer an island abounding in enchantments. Chapter 3 The Fairy Bower That part of the enchanted isle which was kissed by the rising sun was called Donna. The kingdom that was tinted rose and purple by the setting sun was known as Oriel, and the southland where fruits and flowers abounded was the kingdom of Plenta. Up at the north lay Heg, the home of the great barons who feared not even the men of Spore, and in the kingdom of Heg our story opens. Upon a beautiful plain stood the castle of the great baron Murd, renowned alike in war and peace, and second in importance only to the king of Heg. It was a castle of vast extent, built with thick walls and protected by strong gates. In front of it sloped a pretty stretch of land, with the sea glistening far beyond, and back of it, but a short distance away, was the edge of the forest of Lurla. One fair summer day, the custodian of the castle gates opened a wicket and let down a drawbridge. When out trooped three pretty girls with baskets dangling on their arms, one of the maids walked in front of her companions, as became the only daughter of the mighty Baron Murd. She was named Cecily, and had yellow hair and red cheeks and big blue eyes. Behind her, Marian laughing, yet with a distinct deference to the high station of their young lady, walked Berna and Helda, dark brunettes with mischievous eyes and slender, lithe limbs. Berna was the daughter of the chief archer, and Helda the niece of the captain of the guard, and they were appointed playfellows and comrades of the fair Cecily. Up the hill to the forest's edge ran the three, and then, without hesitation, they plunged into the shade of the ancient trees. There was no sunlight now, but the air was cool and fragrant of nuts and mosses, and the children skipped along the paths joyously and without fear. To be sure, the forest of Lurla was well known as the home of fairies, but Cecily and her comrades feared nothing from such gentle creatures, and only longed for an interview with the powerful immortals whom they had been taught to love as the tender guardians of mankind. Nymphs there were in Lurla, as well, and crooked nooks, it was said. Yet for many years past, no one could boast the favour of meeting any of those fairy creatures face to face. So, gathering a few nuts here and a sweet forest flower there, the three maidens walked farther and farther into the forest, until they came upon a clearing, 
formed like a circle, with mosses and ferns for its carpet, and great overhanging branches for its roof. How pretty! Cried Cecily gaily. Let us eat our luncheon in this lovely banquet hall. So Berna and Hilda spread a cloth and brought from their baskets some golden platters and a store of food. Yet there was little ceremony over the meal, you may be sure, and within a short space all the children had satisfied their appetites and were laughing and chatting as merrily as if they were at home in the great castle. Indeed, it was certain they were happier in their forest glade than when facing the grim walls of stone. And the three were in such gay spirits that whatever one chanced to say, the others promptly joined in, laughing over. Soon, however, they were startled to hear a silvery peal of laughter answering their own, and turning to see from whence the sound proceeded, they found seated near them a creature so beautiful that at once the three pairs of eyes opened to their widest extent, and three hearts beat much faster than before. Well. I must say you do stare," exclaimed the newcomer, who was clothed in soft floating robes of rose and pearl color, and whose eyes shone upon them like stars. Forgive our impertinence," answered the little lady Cecily, trying to appear dignified and unmoved. But you must acknowledge that you came among us uninvited, and you are certainly rather odd in appearance. Again, the silvery laughter rang through the glade. Uninvited," echoed the creature, clapping her hands together delightedly. "Uninvited in my own forest home? Why, my dear little girls, you are the uninvited ones. Indeed, you are. To thus come romping into our fairy bower." The children did not open their eyes any wider round hearing the speech, for they could not. But their faces expressed their amazement fully, while Helda gasped the words. A fairy bower, we are in a fairy bower. No, certainly," was the reply. And as for being odd in appearance, let me ask: How could you reasonably expect a fairy to appear as mortal maidens do? A fairy," exclaimed Cecily. "Are you then a real fairy?" "I regret to say, I am," returned the other more soberly, as she patted a moss bank with a silver-tipped wand. Then, for a moment, there was silence while the three girls sat very still and stared at their immortal companion with evident curiosity. Finally, Cecily asked, "Why do you regret being a fairy? I have always thought them the happiest creatures in the world." Perhaps we ought to be happy," answered the fairy gravely, "for we have wonderful powers and do much to assist you, helpless mortals." And I suppose some of us really are happy, but for my part, I am so utterly tired of the fairy life. I would do anything to change it. That is strange," declared Berna. "You seem very young to be already discontented with your lot." Now at this, the fairy burst into laughter again, and presently asked, "How old do you think me?" "Well, about our own age," said Berna, after a glance at her and a moment's reflection. Nonsense," retorted the fairy sharply. "These trees are hundreds of years old. Yet I remember when they were mere twigs, and I remember when mortals first came to live upon this island. Yes, and when this island was first created, and rose from the sea after a great earthquake. I remember for many, many centuries, my dear. 
I have grown tired of remembering, though, and of being a fairy continually, without any change to brighten my life. To be sure, said Cecily with sympathy. I never thought of fairy life in that way before. It must get quite tiresome. And I think of the centuries I must yet live, exclaimed the fairy in a dismal voice. Isn't it an awful thing to look forward to? It is indeed, agreed Cecily. I'd be glad to exchange lives with you, said Hilda, looking at the fairy with intense admiration. But you cannot do that, answered the little creature quickly. Mortals cannot become fairies, you know, although I believe there was once a mortal who was made immortal. But fairies can become anything they desire, cried Berna. Oh, no, they can't. You are mistaken if you believe that, was the reply. I could change you into a fly, or a crocodile, or a bobolink, if I wanted to. But fairies cannot change themselves into anything else. How strange, murmured Cecily, much impressed. But you can, cried the fairy, jumping up and coming toward them. You are mortals, and by the laws that govern us, a mortal can change a fairy into anything she pleases. Oh, said Cecily, filled with amazement at the idea. The fairy fell on her knees before the baron's daughter. Please, please, dear Cecily, she pleaded, change me into a mortal. Chapter 4 Prince Marvel It is easy to imagine the astonishment of the three girls at hearing this strange request. They gazed in a bewildered fashion upon the kneeling fairy and were at first unable to answer one word. Then Cecily said, sadly, for she was grieved to disappoint the pretty creature, We are but mortal children and have no powers of enchantment at all. Ah, that is true so far as concerns yourselves, replied the fairy eagerly. Yet mortals may easily transform fairies into anything they wish. If that is so, why have we never heard of this power before? asked Cecily. Because fairies, as a rule, are content with their lot and do not wish to appear in any form but their own. And knowing that evil or mischievous mortals can transform them at will, the fairies take great care to remain invisible, so they cannot be interfered with. Have you ever seen a fairy before? She asked suddenly. Never, replied Cecily. Nor would you have seen me today, had I not known you were kind and pure-hearted, or had I not resolved to ask you to exercise your powers upon me. I must say, replied Helda boldly, that you are foolish to wish to become anything different from what you are, for you are very beautiful now. Beautiful, retorted the fairy with a little frown. What does a beauty amount to if one is to remain invisible? Not much, that is true, agreed Berna, smoothing her own dark locks. And as for being foolish, continued the fairy, I ought to be allowed to act foolishly if I want. For centuries past, I have not had the chance to do a single foolish thing. Oh, you poor dear, said Helda softly. Cecily had listened silently to this conversation. Now she inquired, What do you wish to become? A mortal, answered the fairy promptly. A girl like ourselves, questioned the baron's daughter. Perhaps, said the fairy as if undecided. 
Then you would be likely to endure many privations, said Cecily gently, for you would have neither father nor mother to befriend you, nor any house to live in. And if you hired your services to some baron, you would be obliged to wash dishes all day, or mend clothing or herd cattle. But I should travel all over the island, said the fairy brightly, and that is what I long to do. I do not care to work. I fear a girl would not be allowed to travel alone, Cecily remarked after some further thought. At least, she added, I have never heard of such a thing. No, said the fairy rather bitterly. Your men are the ones that roam abroad and have adventures of all kinds. Your women are poor, weak creatures, I remember. There was no denying this, so the three girls sat silently until Cecily asked, Why do you wish to become immortal? To gain exciting experiences, answered the fairy. I'm tired of being a humdrum fairy year in, year out. Of course, I do not wish to become immortal for all time, for that would get monotonous too. But to live a short while as the earth people do would amuse me very much. If you want variety, you should become a boy, said Helda with a laugh. The life of a boy is one round of excitement. Then make me a boy, exclaimed the fairy eagerly. A, a boy? They all cried in consternation, and Cecily added, But you're a girl fairy, aren't you? Well, yes, I suppose I am. Answered the beautiful creature, smiling. But as you are going to change me anyway, I may as well become a boy as a girl. Better, declared Helda, clapping her hands. For then you can do as you please. But would it be right? asked Cecily with hesitation. Why not? retorted the fairy. I can see nothing wrong in being a boy. Make me tall and slender, with waving brown hair and dark eyes. Then I shall be as unlike my own self as possible, and the adventure will be much more interesting. Yes, I like the idea of being a boy very much. But we do not know how to transform you. Someone will have to show us how to do it, protested Cecily, who was getting worried over the task set before her. Oh, that will be easy enough, returned the little immortal. Have you a wand? No. Then I'll loan you mine, for I shall not need it. And you must wave it over my head three times and say, By my mortal powers, I transform you into a boy for the space of one year. One year? Isn't that too long? It's a very short time to one who has lived thousands of years as a fairy. That is true, answered the baron's daughter. Now I'll begin by doing a little transforming myself, said the fairy, getting upon her feet again. And you can watch and see how I do it. She brushed a bit of moss from her gauzy skirts and continued. If I'm to become a boy, I shall need a horse, you know. A handsome prancing steed, very fleet of foot. A moment she stood motionless as if listening. Then she uttered a low but shrill whistle. The three girls, filled with eager interest, watched her intently. Presently... A trampling of footsteps was heard through the brushwood, and a beautiful deer burst from the forest and fearlessly ran to the fairy. Without hesitation, she waved her wand above the deer's head and exclaimed, By all my fairy powers, I command you to become a war horse for the period of one year. Instantly, the deer disappeared, and in its place was a handsome charger, 
milk-white in colour, with flowing mane and tail. Upon its back was a saddle, sparkling with brilliant gems, sewn upon fine-dressed leather. The girls uttered cries of astonishment and delight, and the fairy said, You see, these transformations are not difficult at all. I must now have a sword. She plucked a twig from a nearby tree and cast it upon the ground at her feet. Again she waved her wand, and the twig turned to a gleaming sword, richly engraved, that seemed to the silent watchers to tremble slightly in its sheath, as if its heart of steel throbbed with hopes of battles to come. And now I must have a shield and armor, said the fairy gaily. This will make a shield. And she stripped a sheet of loose bark from a tree trunk. But for armor I must have something better. Will you give me your cloak? This appeal was made to Cecily, and the baron's daughter drew her white velvet cloak from her shoulders and handed it to the fairy. A moment later it was transformed into a suit of glittering armor that seemed fashioned of pure silver inlaid with gold, while the sheet of bark at the same time became a handsome shield with the figures of three girls graven upon it. Cecily recognized the features as those of herself and her comrades, and noted also that they appeared sitting at the edge of a forest, with great trees showing plainly in the background. "'I shall be your champion, you see,' laughed the fairy gleefully. "'And maybe I shall be able to repay you for the loss of your cloak.' "'I do not mind the cloak,' returned the child, who had been greatly interested in these strange transformations. "'But it seems impossible that a dainty little girl like you can ride this horse and carry these heavy arms.' "'I'll not be a girl much longer,' said the little creature. "'Here, take my wand and transform me into a noble youth.' Again the pretty fairy kneeled before Cecily, her dainty rounded limbs of white and rose showing plainly through her gauzy attire. And the baron's daughter was suddenly inspired to be brave, not wishing to disappoint the venturous immortal. So she rose and took the magic wand in her hand, waving it three times above the head of the fairy. "'By my powers as immortal,' she said, marvelling even then at the strange speech, "'I command you to become a brave and gallant youth, "'handsome, strong, and fearless, "'and such shall you remain for the space of one year.' "'As she ceased speaking, the fairy was gone, "'and a slender youth, dark-eyed and laughing, "'was holding her hand in his and kissing it gratefully. "'I thank you, most lovely maiden,' he said in a pleasant voice. "'for giving me a place in the world of mortals. "'I shall ride at once in search of adventure, "'but my good sword is ever at your service.' "'With this, he gracefully rose "'and began to buckle on his magnificent armour "'and to fasten the sword on his belt. "'Cecily drew a long, sighing breath of amazement "'at her own powers, "'and turning to Berna and Helda, she asked, "'Do I see all right? "'Is the little fairy really transformed into this youth?' "'It certainly seems so,' returned Helda, who, being unabashed by the marvels she had beheld, turned to gaze boldly upon the young knight. "'Do you still remember that a moment ago you were a fairy?' she inquired. "'Yes, indeed,' he said, smiling. "'And I am really a fairy now, being but changed in outward form. But no one must know this save yourselves, until the year has expired and I resume my true station.' Will you promise to guard my secret? Oh, yes! Oh, they yes! They in chorus, for they were delighted, as any children might be, at having so remarkable a secret to keep and talk over among themselves. 
I must ask you one more favour, continued the youth, that you give me a name, for in this island I believe all men bear names of some sort to distinguish them from one another. True, said Cecily thoughtfully. What were you called as a fairy? That does not matter in the least, he answered hastily. I must have an entirely new name. Suppose we call him the Silver Knight, suggested Berna as she eyed his glistening armour. Oh, no, that is no name at all, declared Helda. We might better call him Baron Strongarm. I do not like that either, said Lady Cecily, for we do not know whether his arm is strong or not, but he has been transformed in a most astonishing and bewildering manner before our eyes, and I think the name of Prince Marvel would suit him very well. Excellent, cried the youth, picking up his richly graven shield. The name seems very fitting in every way. For a year I shall be known to all the island as Prince Marvel.